I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Hello, and welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. I'm so excited. Today I have guest Rebecca, and she's been she had been working with me for quite a while before she started in her recovery journey. So in honor of Borderline Personality Disorder Awareness Month, I'm going to interview Becca so she can share her story with you guys. Hey, Becca. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to have you on. I think that the fact that you're able to come on the podcast is just such a huge milestone for you, and I'm excited for everybody to hear your journey. So one thing that we can start with talking about, I think, is just the idea that recovery is an ongoing process, right? Yes, definitely. Yeah, so that's something that we want to drive home as we, as you listen to Rebecca and I's interview today, is that recovery is not linear. It's something that's ongoing there's not necessarily like lapses and relapses but it does it is a process that requires patience hard work and dedication for basically your lifetime so that you can continue to grow so becca why don't you tell us a little bit about you know how you met me or how you came to be working with me and how you got your diagnosis um okay so when i was 13 i was diagnosed with a bipolar disorder And I believed and was treated for that uh, for 25 years. And last May, I saw a new psychiatrist and she diagnosed me with borderline personality. And I was actually really excited about it because I felt like I finally had an answer um, since anything previously wasn't working. And so I think that day, I just got on Apple Podcasts and searched for like borderline personality disorder and your podcast was pink and I was like, I'll give this a try. And I think you were only on like the third or fourth episode and at the time and I listened to it and it was the one on relationships and I was like, oh my gosh, someone understands me. And I then found out I added you like I got on the Facebook page And I found out that you were doing, like, group, um, you were just kind of doing casual, like, Zoom meetings with people. And so that's um, when I met you and I started working with you. That's right. Oh, my gosh. What a throwback. As you talk about that, I'm like, oh, that was so long ago. That was back when I could offer the those Facebook, like free Facebook groups. Cause there was only like what, like 30 of us or 20 of us in the group back then. Yeah. Yeah. It's just crazy how much it's grown just in a year. It is. It is absolutely. Well, I mean, I, that's to, to say that you were misdiagnosed for 25 years with bipolar disorder is huge. So I don't want to gloss over that. So when you had found out that you actually didn't have bipolar disorder and you had BPD, you were, you felt it felt freeing. And what would you like to say to people that currently are struggling to figure out whether or not it is bipolar or BPD? Um, I think that if you feel like what you're being diagnosed with and whatever treatment you're getting isn't working, then keep working to find an answer. See someone else, like keep advocating for yourself because I always knew that like something was wrong. I never, I never like didn't admit that, 
but I didn't know what it was. And I was therapy and medicine and everything and nothing was working. And the older I got in a way it got worse. So when I got diagnosed with borderline and she explained to me what it was and went over all the different areas of borderline, I was like, check, check, check. Um, All of a sudden I was like, yes, I have finally found this. And now that I know now I can do something about it. Absolutely. It's like freeing, right? Yes, very. That's good advice. So if you're struggling with the difference between bipolar disorder or BPD and you still just kind of can't wrap your mind around it or bipolar disorder doesn't fit for you, absolutely find a second opinion. I think it's, you know yourself, right? We know ourselves. We need to kind of let other providers pull us around in different directions because we are insecure and don't trust ourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I just always knew that there was an answer. Yeah. Awesome. So you started working with me. I feel like we worked together for a year. Is that accurate? It has been right at a year. I probably met you. It'll probably be a year in about two weeks or so. Yep. So it's been about a year. So you worked with me individually and then you worked, you took a break and then you worked with me through the group that we had. Yes. Right. Awesome. So if you can just share a little bit about your recovery journey from the time, I guess, that you found out till we started working together and some of the things that you that were really beneficial and helpful to you. Yeah. So um, kind of at first, um, talking to you and then listening to the podcast, and I was just trying to take in as much as I could. Um, I knew I wanted to work with you, but it was going to be a little while before I'd be able to. And so I was doing the best I could on my own. Um, So I think the beginning of the journey was kind of understanding um, like what BPD was and kind of like what the end goal was. And then everything in the middle was getting there. So when I started working with you in the fall, um, I kind of I don't know. It was really hard because I think like the first thing I had to learn was, you know, you told me the truth Mm -hmm. and the truth isn't always um, the most fun thing to hear. Um, It hurts. Um, But I accepted that really quickly. Um, And that's still something today that I it's like every day when somebody is telling me something that I know to be true I remind myself, I might not like what they're saying to me, but it's going to make me a better person if I accept it and do something with it. Um, so that was that was um, the first big thing. Um, from there, I learned a little bit about my identity. Um, so with that, um, I had to learn. I was a high-level competitive gymnast. Um, growing up. So I was in the gym all the time. And Mm -hmm. I was really good. And I kind of reached my peak at 14. And I kind of 14 or so is when a lot of my the I really kind of changed from kind of being a normal kid to Mm -hmm. being a really difficult like adolescent. And um, that's when all my relationship problems started. And you and I had had a discussion about how even at 38 years old, like I was really stuck at 14 because that's 
was my success point. And so it was all I knew as a kid. And I still connected, like in my mind, I still thought I could do gymnastics like that, even though I knew I couldn't. And I still thought that like I was 14 and fit and young and I don't need to work out and I didn't need to eat healthy and I was fine, but I'm really 38. Um, so that was a really big like reality was like, you're not 14, like you are 38 and you have to act like it and you have to be an adult. You have to grow up. Right. So you realized your identity was kind of stuck at 14. So all these years you were kind of just lost. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like I had, once I understood that I realized I had absolutely no idea who I was. Um, and like, furthermore, I learned um, that uh, we t- you talk about favorite person. Mm-hmm. And I learned um, pretty quickly that my husband was my favorite person. And mm-hmm. I 100% smothered him every minute of the day in a whole lot of different ways. And that was really, really hard for me to learn to begin to learn who I was. Like I had to separate, learn to separate myself from him and learn to do things on my own and learn to make some friends and that he wasn't like the only person in the world, um, that there's other people out there and that I can, I can learn to be happy being alone and doing things that I enjoy. And so that has taken a good part of the year for me to learn how to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, those are some of the hard truths, right? Like learning that he was your favorite person, favorite host, favorite person, learning that you were stuck at 14 or like emotionally, you were really at that adolescent age, maybe even younger than that at some points, right? Mm -hmm. What are some of the other hard truths that you had to learn in the beginning to be able to start that journey? Um, I had to learn um, that while like I considered my parents to be like amazing parents. And um, it's, it was really interesting to kind of learn that while my parents provided my basic needs and I grew up in a good place and I had a good education and, um, you know, there was nothing I was ever denied. um, And I didn't have any kind of like, you know, physical abuse or any like really horrible, like one event situation happened to me. Um, the reality is that my parents set me up or teach me emotions, how to deal with emotions um, at a young age. Um, And so as an adult, I wasn't prepared. Um, So when I was 18 years old and I wasn't a gymnast anymore and I didn't know who I was and it was time to go off and live life on my own in college, um, I ended up making a lot of really, really poor choices um, that were an emotional toll, um, which became a cycle, um, day after day, year after year, um, you know, for, I don't know, for 10, 15 years. Yeah, absolutely. So you started to realize, you know, parents had not, not that they weren't great parents. They were great parents in terms of providing for your needs. Like you said, just that they weren't able to provide you with some of the stuff you needed and being a high level gymnast you had had an identity in the gym you know like I think for the audience to understand what that means to be a gymnast like you're at the gym 
often. I mean, you, I wasn't a gymnast, so you can tell them what that means. Yeah. I mean, I was at the gym, like when I was a kid, it was four hours a day. It was, you know, we would have Saturday practice as well. And then in the summer we would have like two practices. Um, so I would say on average, it was about four to six hours a day, but I loved it and I was good. And I had two coaches that were like second parents and they were really great too. And I think they're who they, those are the people that instilled good work ethic and determination and, you know, to be a good person and um, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. But when you're, you know, you don't have gymnastics anymore, when you're, like you said, 18, and you're not in the gym for six hours, it is difficult to figure out how to live in the world. There's so many different milestones that you didn't you missed so then I guess you end up getting that bipolar diagnosis when things go south um well I actually got the diagnosis when I was 13 um my relationships with pretty much everybody in my family especially my brother and my dad were just horrendous like I was very very capable of going to school and I was a great student and I would go to the gym and I was a great gymnast but when I was at home I completely fell apart. And I had to learn from you that whether I was eight or 13 or 20 or 38, that the same pattern of having temper tantrums and um, the temper tantrums were, it's like being a child. And Mm -hmm. I didn't want to accept that. But my husband at the same time was like, you are being a child. And my parents at 13 was like, we have to do something about this. And so I was actually, not only was I put on medicine at that time, but I was also hospitalized at that time. Um, And I missed the beginning of ninth grade, which all of that emotionally was really hard for me. Oh, yeah, that's incredibly traumatic to have to go through, especially as we fast forward and you start realizing, well... There probably was a connection between my parents' behavior and the things that happened at home to like the way that I experience and live out relationships now as a 38-year-old, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, and so it was kind of like what was really interesting was that growing up, my problem was always with my parents. The temper tantrums were with my parents. Um, I couldn't get along with my parents. And as soon as I met my husband or really any boyfriend in between there, Um, I attached myself to them and then the problem was with them and the temper tantrums was with them. So somehow my husband married me and um, he just was not going to accept this behavior after a while. Like at first he kind of had to figure out what was going on. And then he was like, well, this isn't my problem. This is yours. And um, he just, gradually withdrew and withdrew yet was always honest you're being a child you're being a tyrant this is unacceptable behavior um and all I knew to do was to blame him oh yeah 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 I remember that you know the very first couple times we were meeting it was difficult because he you know works in a different area kind of thing and just having the ability to see that he wasn't the enemy was uh, difficult for you at the time, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think like, you know, towards the end, like, like, within like, after, I'm sorry, let me start over. <laughs> um, 
So in November, like I worked with you from September to November and like, I wasn't making a ton of progress because like I was really stubborn, like everything that you were telling me to do, I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And then like, it wasn't that I didn't try it. I mean, I guess I didn't try, but it's like, I just didn't believe that anything you said was going to work for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so we, I kind of got to a standstill sort of, Mm -hmm. and then my brother passed away, um, to drug addiction Mm -hmm. in November. And, um, that's when I stopped talking to you for a little while and I took a break. Um, I, I kind of needed to, I kind of needed to reassess where I was and kind of deal with my life. Um, in addition to that, in the June of last year, my husband didn't divorce me, but he left me. I mean, that's the truth is that mm-hmm. he moved to a city three hours away. He took a job mm-hmm. and it was a permanent job, um, like for the next couple of years. And I didn't accept that for a really long time, but I remember, um, probably about two months ago, it's May, probably about two months ago, I finally accepted that like he's not coming back right now that he lives three hours away, but he didn't divorce me. So I still had the opportunity to accept it and to make the most of my relationship with him. And now I work really hard. We drive back and forth and I just make a really conscious effort to make sure that I'm using all of my strategies so that we can have um, quality time together. And so the time that we do have isn't wasted. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the loss of your brother, obviously, just such a huge, devastating thing for you and for your family, but it put so many things into perspective for you. Because, you know, I remember part of that was like, a point of contention between the two of us, just like yes. the way that you would process that, because I'm thinking, you know, I remember kind of challenging, you were, we were very stubborn, right? It's like, the the defiant part of you, I think, is the part of you that was difficult to get through in the beginning, because like you said, it's not that you're not trying. And that goes for everyone out there. You know, if you hit a wall or a roadblock, it's not that you're not trying. It's that you're not trying hard enough to trust the process, right? Or to trust yourself or to trust me or, you know, whatever, you know, that may be. And I think that was really a big part of it for you. So you had hit that wall, but then you know, when the, you know, things happen with your brother, you realize, like, I do love these people. Like, I do love people. I want people to love me. And I want, you know, I want Anthony to love me. I want to honor my brother's legacy, right? So that was a huge thing for you. Yeah. And when January, when the new year hit, um, I had talked to Anthony and I had, I was actually telling Anthony about um, kind of some of our back and forth and how I didn't actually think that um, what you were trying to teach me was going to work for me um, Mm -hmm. because I, you know, I was in a way kind of blaming you um, because you weren't letting me get away with um, not being accountable. And you were in a very nice way basically calling me out on that. And so I just pointed the finger back at you and said, well, she's just being BPD herself. Um, And she doesn't (laughs) even realize that she's being BPD. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. I I was drinking water. And also just that is.
exactly what happened. I remember that text conversation so well. <laughs> so well. And I'm thinking, like, she is definitely, you know, trying to make it, like, point the blame to me. I'm just going to, like, be calm. And I was kind of chuckling to myself because I don't take any of that stuff personally. I know what it's like to be in those spaces. But I was really proud of you for coming back, though, because that was huge of you. You came back. Yeah, I just believed that, like, like I just – I personally believed that like you were my answer to getting to the good side of life um, because you understood because you're be- you you're hyperbolic yourself yep. like you understood me and I like I was like who am I gonna find that understands me I had another um, therapist but I was ex- I was teaching her what you were teaching me and I was like well this isn't helping me. Um, so I had a conversation with Anthony and he said, you need to go back to Rose. And so you were starting the group and Mm -hmm. I thought it would be a good idea to try to do it with other people. That's a little scary to me because I, you know, prior to that, I just prefer to just do everything on my own and to get help myself. But the group dynamic actually really helped because I remember kind of like at the beginning, like, oh. Because you wanted us to all be friends. Yeah. <laughs> I was Functional like, friends. But Functional. It, yeah, I was like, what do I need to be friends with these people for? Like, I just need the information from Rose. But we actually built pretty good emotional, um, like, friendships. And even though the gro- group is done, like, we still talk. Um, certainly not every week like we were, but we still check in with each other. And, like, I actually I remember telling you and them, like, I was like, I actually care about you guys. Yeah. Um, and that's really funny because that's not something like a neurotypical person would say. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, it was hard to get you guys going in the beginning. So the fact that you all still keep in touch with, with each other is awesome. Yeah. You're like learning social nuances right through the text. Like ask each other about the, your day. Don't yeah. just talk. <laughs> don't just talk about negative things kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, yeah. And so like the group was really helpful and I did definitely learn some things that, um, I hadn't necessarily learned with when I was just working with you Mm -hmm. and I, at the same time, so I had this like good group, um, forming, um, I was learning a lot from them and from you. I, for the first time since I really worked with you, I was beginning to put it into practice um, which meant I had to trust myself. Mm-hmm. I had to trust you and I had to trust the people around me. So it was kind of funny because, you know, you would tell me, Hey, if you don't call your husband 10 times today, I bet he'll call you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, no. Like if I don't call him, he's not going to talk to me. And I would cry and I would be upset because he didn't want to talk to me. Well, duh, he doesn't want to be, you know, he doesn't want a tyrant like calling him constantly. Right. And so one day I said, you know what? I'm just not going to call him. And I didn't. And then, oh, my gosh, he called me. And I was like, Mm -hmm. whoa, (laughs) she was right. It worked. Yeah. And so because like that built confidence, like I finally trusted you and Mm -hmm. I had to trust Anthony. And then when it worked, I was like, oh, okay. So tomorrow, like, I don't have to call him again. I bet he'll call me. And then he did. And so now 
I just let him call me. Like, I don't ever call him. There's, there's actually days now where it's, you know, kind of rare, but where we don't talk. It'll just be like, hey, I'm really tired going to bed. And like, okay, cool. Talk to you tomorrow. Um, which when I met you, like never in a million years would I ever go a day without talking to him. Yeah, absolutely. It's such, it's huge to say that what I did was I took a step back and I took a different perspective to the situation that was driving me nuts over and over and over again. Cause it's the thing with Anthony and like him not responding to you well, or him not connecting with you or wanting to come close to you is because he wasn't given the emotional space to do that. So he was being kind of controlled into doing that. So you making the choice to hang up the phone, let him call you back was that one thing that you needed to start trusting the process, which is, it's huge. Sometimes that's what it takes, right? Right. Yeah. And I mean, I still struggle. Like I don't like my biggest struggle right now is with my dad. Um, My dad um, is probably um, BPD as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, but he's older and, you know, he's not about to go out and get some diagnosis or whatever, but um, he has, you know, he has a lot of BPD behaviors and it's very frustrating for me because now that I'm kind of on the other side and I can look at someone who has those behaviors, one, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe that I said those things or that I was that inappropriate or that I was, you know, so awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, but the truth, and you have said it often is that like, I'm weird and I'm, you know, awkward. And that's like part of who I am, but I'm okay with it because it's about handling situations in an appropriate way, despite being weird. And, you know, yeah. um, And that's something like I could never see before, but like, it never made sense to me before, but it does now. Um, You know, so like with my dad, like he'll do something and it'll upset me so, so much. And I still fall into old patterns where I feel the need to be right and to argue with him or to tell him that he's BPD. And like, it's all useless. Um, You know, it's kind of like when I finally make the choice to just not respond, Mm -hmm. that's when I'm going to start to get along with him better. Absolutely. Or stop trying to change him. I think the issue that we have is that when we recover, we look back at the people who are not doing a whole lot of growth work, regardless of who they are and what their journey is, and we want them to do it. And one part of it is out of love, right? Mm -hmm. Like you love him and you want him to know that there's a better way to communicate with people, to love people. You know, part of it is out of just, you know, I did it, so why can't you do it? So the idea is to start accepting him for who he is. And I think the most important thing for people to understand and You know, this is something that in the group, you guys were kind of like laughing or joking because some of the other recovery stories are like so inspirational, right? So it's like a bit too much because the idea is that recovery is is not linear, like we said at the beginning. And this is a very example of that in your own recovery journey. So here you are like having trust the process. You trusted me. You trust yourself. You're learning how to trust the world around you. You're coming closer to your husband for the most part as best as you can in this and you're trying to like do all of these other things with your business. We didn't even get to talk about that kind of thing, but we have your, the situation with your dad and this is an area that you still need to work on. So rather than 
trying to battle him more accepting him for where he is and who he is and just loving him for who he is hoping that he'll change one day or he'll be able to see a better better path that's why recovery isn't just oh I wake up one day and like life is great it's I I work on this one area and I get over this one hump I recognize that I'm different like weird awkward yeah like so what cares that we're weird and awkward if we're not dysfunctional right you start to look at what are the other areas of my life that aren't that great because of the BPD and this is one of them so even though we're not working directly together like Becca has to work on using and generalizing or applying rather those skills that she learned with Anthony and with other people in her life to her dad right yeah and like I remember at the and like to kind of go off of a point you just said I remember like in the beginning or even like back in January or February I felt so overwhelmed by the amount of information that I thought I needed to learn and yes I did need to learn a lot of information Um, but I'm one of those people that is like, I'm extremely linear. And so I'm like, okay, tell me what step one is. And when I achieve step one, then give me step two, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't totally work like that. Like there are things that you can learn week one and week two and week three, but they all kind of have to, they all work together. Um, and so for me, I like, you know, I was taught when you're upset, you can do these things. Well, I felt like, how am I going to know which one to do? You know, I think I actually Mm -hmm. said that to you one time. I was like, I don't know which one to do. And you were like, well, you'll just know, just try, just try one. And if it doesn't work, try another. And I was like, no, I need to know the one that I need to do. (laughs) Um, But now that I've like officially absorbed the information, I understand the information And I have practiced with the information. Now I just have like, you know, like you have the little angel and the devil on your shoulders. And you're like my little angel on one shoulder that sits (laughs) there and talks to me all day long. Like you're never going to go away. (laughs) Um, It's that intuition voice. Like what's the right thing to do? I've become your moral compass. Yeah. 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 And we didn't talk a lot about that, but yeah, you, you really are. And you know, if I have to be honest, like the moral compass is the one thing that I have the most work to do on and that I um, like is the hardest for me, specifically with discipline. Um, like I was a gymnast and working out shouldn't be so hard, mm-hmm. but I just still just do not have the discipline. And like, also to go back to a funny time um you were trying to get me to do this kettlebell challenge (laughs) (laughs) and you were like no just do it and so it's like a thing where you have like five rounds and um it's hard it's really hard um but it's not impossible and the first time like you were like I don't care what you do like you don't have to do the kettlebell just do something pick a program and do it and I'm like okay I'm gonna run and you're like well that's not really what I was saying <laughs> and you happen to talk to Anthony at that time um, yep. you had a brief conversation with him and he told you like she's not gonna change like you're basically like we're wasting our money you know you're kind of wasting your time she's not gonna change she's not gonna get better she's not um and that was really hard because I didn't have support like I have had to do this 
without a J. Like you had a J. You had someone that was supportive and like really wanted to um, support you in a way that could help you see where you were at and get better. Right. Um, And I was always really, really jealous of that because I wanted somebody to be there for me and I had to learn to be there for myself. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Because you, you only had a rose, but you only had me once in a while. So it's not the same thing for sure. You had to do that for you. Yeah. Yeah. Self-discipline. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, and then the second time I tried the kettlebell challenge, um, I hurt my back so bad and I talked to you and you were like, no, you're really sore. And I'm like, no, I'm really hurt. And so I quit doing it and it turned out I really was just sore and I could have pushed through it. Um, So then the third time I did it, I really did it. But that was during the time I wasn't talking to you. That's amazing. You did the 10,000 kettlebell program. I did. I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I don't even think you knew that. No, I didn't. Well, I didn't know. I actually didn't even know your back wasn't all that hurt because you really tried to convince <laughs> me that you were like broken, you know, like you're in bed and you're like moaning. Oh my gosh, you're a trip. I well, see the same a, thing. That's though. being hyperbolic. I mean, it was just the worst. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's the progress that you've made is huge. But then you say, like you said a minute ago, like you haven't really worked much on the moral compass. So I disagree because you are working again. Everything has to happen in like stages or think about rungs of a ladder. So, you know, your recovery process meant being really defiant and stubborn towards doing anything that required self-discipline and then failing very quickly when it got difficult. But now you did the 10,000 kettlebell swings program. So even though you're still not in a position where you're like being consistently self-disciplined, you still have way more abilities to be self-disciplined than you did, you know, I don't know, a year ago because you finished oh, yeah. that. That's yeah. a hard program. Yeah. And I remember you telling me the point of it was not necessarily about the exercise, although that's good. It was more about the mental toughness. Like if I can do 10,000 kettlebell swings, in the 20 or 25 minutes that it takes me, um, uh, then I can, I'm sorry, the thousand, it's a thousand, isn't it? Uh, anyway, if I can do 10,000 kettlebell swings, I can do anything. Um, so I remember that I'm like, I did 10,000 kettlebell swings. I, you know, I can probably like walk away from this argument and like go settle down or I can probably like not, send that email, you know, telling my dad that he, you know, needs to get help. And I'm worried about him because he's BPD. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you can trust yourself now as well. Yeah. Is, right. Yeah. Yep. But it took a lot to get you to the point uh, where you were willing to do that. And so the fact that you did that, it's also, it's not just trust though. Aren't you proud of yourself to be able to say that? I am like, I'm so proud of myself. Like, I, you know, Anthony didn't believe in me and it never seemed like my parents cared much. And my friend, you know, my friends, my friend, my one friend at the time was like, glad you're getting help. And like, I never believed that I would get to this place. I was always jealous of anybody that was BPD that had gotten better Mm -hmm. um, or was doing better because I was never going to get there. Um, so while it's not perfect, like life is so much happier and Mm -hmm. I have found an identity and I have more than one friend now. 
and I just things are going so well. Yeah, it's amazing because you know the everyone wants to know what's the how, what's the how, like how do you do it? You know, having an identity. You know, I hear a lot like you don't say how, but the how is not being so stubborn that you don't try anything. Yeah. trying the thing trusting yourself and then standing back and like being proud of yourself I had this idea where I was gonna remodel my kitchen myself so I like there was like <laughs> wallpaper and it's burnt it was burgundy gosh like it was awful so I not a hyperbole so I <coughs> start doing it and it was I did it myself so I like pulled off a wallpaper and primed all the walls and all these things I stood back and I was like wow I'm so proud of myself and this was like this weekend and that's the feeling that you had when you, you you do the kettlebell swing. So the being proud of hard work that you've put in to accomplish a big task is part of developing your character, which develops your identity, which is like a key to recovery, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, and at that time that we started that group, um, it had been a couple months since my brother passed away and we had this opportunity um to as a family start a recovery center um where we are going to be providing 12 weeks of kind of whole person recovery for substance abuse and mental um disorders uh dual diagnosis um Mm -hmm. and i'm going to be like i'm an owner and i'm a director and i'm going to be over our education a program and I'm going to be over licensing and compliance and working with our contractors. And it's a lot. And it's like everything about it is nothing that I know. Like none of it is in my wheelhouse. I've been a teacher my whole life, mm-hmm. but this is so much like I just, it was like an instant identity because you talked to us about how like my identity before was like, yeah, sure. I'm a teacher. Um, but I'm also attached to this person I married and that Mm -hmm. was my life, like Anthony. And then I would go to work and I didn't love it. And so now it was like, I love what I'm doing. I love what we are doing. Um, I love that I'm helping people. I'm helping people in mental illness as well as substance abuse. So it's honoring my brother and working through something that I've struggled with my whole life as well. Um, to help other people, to help, you know, teenage girls so that, you know, when they're 18 years old, they have an identity and they can go to school and they don't have to, you know, hurt themselves or do drugs and they can have a successful life starting at 18 or 17 or 16 and not 38, you know? Yeah. It's so amazing what you're doing. You were able to take all of this loss and all of this pain and transform it into this identity, this new life that you're living for yourself. So like you said, you're just happy now. Is life perfect? No. Are you going to have episodes? Probably. Are you going to have struggles? Yes. But does that mean that you have like this full-blown personality disorder diagnosis that's going to hold you back forever? No, absolutely not. And like I would imagine... Every day is pretty much a good day compared to the way it was before. Is that right? Yes. Like for the first time in my life, like, like a good day was always rare. And now it's kind of rare to have a bad day. Yep. It's amazing. Such a beautiful thing. So 
to wrap up or just like giving, you know, the final words to people out there struggling, what are, first of all, what would you say to people who ask like, but how? Um, trust, trust and just do it. Just try it and see what happens. And if it doesn't work, then you can be like, okay, Rose doesn't know what she's talking about. This podcast is dumb. Like, I'm not doing this. And you can keep living life the way that you're living it. And that's fine. But just try it and just see what happens. I love it. That's such a good point because you have choices. So you can choose to try it at any moment in time. And that will lead you to either success or having to figure something else out, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I am just incredibly proud of you. I think your journey is amazing, obviously. I think the fact that you were able to do the things that you needed to do and outside of just being defiant and stubborn and angry with me and all of the things that we had to go through to get to where you are just goes to show that you're incredibly capable. And I knew you were capable since the day that I met you. I knew you were capable on that very first Zoom call. So you being able to see and know that you're capable and the things that you're going to do to give back to the community are just so beautiful. You're an inspiration. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Welcome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Becca. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. Okay, thanks for listening. That was from Borderline and Beautiful, a production of Thrive Mind Body LLC, online coaching that helps frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or any app that you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from the last episodes, and I'd love to hear whatever questions you have, too. Just download the Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. We'll have all those links in the show description. Okay, we made it. Thanks again for listening. I'm Rose Skeeters, and I'll be back next week with another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Talk to you then.